Well, what's worse than finding a worm in your apple? Finding half a worm. Uh, choosing fruit can sometimes be a tricky task. Yes, I do purchase fruit. Uh, you may see an apple that looks great and shiny on the outside. It looks perfect. But when you bite into it, it's extremely disappointing. It's flowery. Or you buy a pear and it looks perfect. But then you bite into it and it's sour and crunchy and not great. They have the outward appearance of all the great things. They look healthy. They look good. But on the inside, they are far from perfect. This is how Paul describes the Israelites in the wilderness. They had the outward show of all the good things. They ticked the right boxes. But their hearts were far from devoted to the Lord. And so in today's passage, he warns the Corinthians and us to look at the Israelites and don't make the same mistakes that they did. So then what do we do? We are to set our hearts on Jesus consistently, to live for him in this world, that is to receive the goodness of the gospel in all its fullnesses and all its challenges, and to live out our lives as a proclamation of the gospel. So we are to follow wholeheartedly, flee idolatry, all for God's glory. So firstly, uh, where do we come from? Well, we're jumping in the middle of a passage where Paul is talking about for, uh, food sacrificed to idols. Uh, he started in chapter 8 saying that idols really have no existence. So logically... Uh, eating food sacrificed to them doesn't really matter because idols aren't anything. However, others may think that idols are real. So if Christians eat food explicitly sacrificed to idols, it may cause concern to the other person. It may lead to their conscience being seared. It could be putting up a stumbling block in the way of them coming to and seeing Jesus. So then the Christians shouldn't eat that food. Now, in chapter 9, Paul explores this concept a little bit further. He says that Christians, that you and I, have so many rights, have so many privileges and freedoms in this world. Uh, we are free from ritualism. We are free from religiosity. We are free from nationalisms. We are free from the law and so much more. But Paul makes himself a servant of all, so that the gospel may be preached to all the corners of the earth. He lives his life. He disciplines his life. He gives up his freedom for one end, and that is the proclamation of the gospel, to glorify God. And so in chapter 10, he continues on. He wants the Corinthians and us to join in his mission also. And first, we do that by following wholeheartedly. So look at me from verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the clouds and that they all passed through the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the spiritual drinks, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, 
God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these events that Paul is talking about here occurred about 1,300 years before him. Uh, The Israelites, God's people, whom he saved out of Egypt, had all the outward display of all the right things. Uh, They all did the same thing. Did you notice Paul's repetition of all? They all went through the Red Sea. They all ate and drank the same things. They had the outward appearance of doing good. However, God was not pleased with most of them. This is probably the understatement of the century, because out of the original generation of Israelites, think about a whole nation of people, only two people survived to see the promised land. Joshua and Caleb. But why? What went so badly? (laughs) What could they have done to displease God so much? Well, they set their heart on evil. They followed the Lord half-heartedly. And so, verse 6, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil as they did. Do not be idolaters. Paul's just written in in chapter 9 about being fully devoted to the Lord, about being disciplined, about living in submission and sacrificially to Christ. And now he says that the Israelites are the warning of what happens when we aren't disciplined, when we don't follow wholeheartedly, disobeying and punishment. So what are the fruits? What are the results of not following wholeheartedly? Well, Paul notes a few things here specifically. So verse 7, idolatry. In the wilderness, the Israelites made a golden calf and bowed down to it and worshipped it as the person who brought them out of Egypt because they didn't follow God wholeheartedly. Verse 8, sexual immorality. The men indulged in immorality with other Moabite women because they didn't follow the Lord wholeheartedly. Verse 9, testing the Lord. There was constant groaning about food. And even complaining about rescuing from the cruelty of Egypt because they didn't follow wholeheartedly. Verse 10, grumbling. They wanted to go back to Egypt like a spoiled child because they didn't follow wholeheartedly. And so Paul concludes his history lesson in verse 11. These things happened to them as examples for us and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of ages has come. Uh, You probably know the phrase, those who forget their history are doomed to repeat it. Well, Paul is calling on the Corinthians and us to not forget our history. Don't forget it. In the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, one of the foundational Anglican documents, morning prayer was set to be said Uh, every day. And if you're a good Church of England member, uh, every day you would say Psalm 95. You would pray it out loud every morning. And Psalm 95 calls on the reader not to harden their hearts as Israel did in the wilderness, not to test the Lord, but to strive to follow the Lord, to live lives in praise to the Lord. Don't forget the history. 
Uh, this is what Paul calls on us to do here. Be on guard. Don't follow the same patterns. Look at them. Learn from them. Don't make the same mistakes, especially for us, this side of the cross. See, we friends who are on this side of the cross, we have the full story. We have the culmination of ages, Jesus Christ who has come for us and died for us, revealing God's all-encompassing grace for us so clearly. We can just see how awesome God's love is for us. We are baptized into him, into a new identity with him. We now belong to him, not ourselves. So that we can only follow wholeheartedly in response. Does this mean that we'll get it right all the time and never sin? Most certainly not. But when we do sin, we can know because of Jesus that God forgives us God still loves us, and we can always repent and turn back to him. However, if we think that we've got it all together, if we think that we're standing firm and no sin can touch us, or that we'll never be like those Israelites, this is a warning to us to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of overconfidence, of self-reliance, of pride and boasting. When we take a carefree attitude to sin, we're at the greatest risk of falling into it. Australians are, are known to be fairly laid back. We can be fairly easygoing people. You know, we, we have the phrase, uh, she'll be right. But if we have the attitude of she'll be right towards sin and idolatry, as the Israelites did, then we'll be in danger. Take heed. Pay attention. And when we are faced with temptations, instead of going it through it alone or trying to tough it up and be strong, or on the other hand, instead of being just carefree and falling into it, what can we do? Well, we can run to God. Pray to Him. He is faithful. There is nothing new here. Being tempted by sin is a reality that we have to live with this side of the fall and this side of eternity. It's hard. It's something that we'll never perfect or graduate from. But we are called on to follow God with all that we have. And even when we do sin, God is faithful and won't let us be overtaken by it. He won't let anything take us from his hand. He will help us endure. We are baptized into him. We are his. So follow wholeheartedly and also flee idolatry. Look at me from verse 14. Therefore, that is, because of all that we've seen in the previous verses and in the previous chapters, therefore, my dear friends, Flee from idolatry. Now, as we saw a few weeks ago, to flee doesn't mean to think, how far can I go before I cross a line? No, to flee means to think, how fast and how far can I run away from the danger? So 
run away from even the slightest whiff of idolatry. Run away from worshipping or living for anything or anyone else other than the Lord. Because we belong to him. We are bought by him at the precious blood of Christ. So why would we go running after anyone or anything else other than him? And we have symbols to help us remind ourselves of this. Our, our baptism and our Lord's Supper are signs and symbols of these things. Now, in the next few verses, Paul lays out the argument uh, that it's simply incoherent to take part in the Lord's Supper, which is an audio-visual of the gospel, and then to go chase after idols. So, look with me from verse 16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. Now, in a fortnight's time, we're going to be looking more closely at the Lord's Supper. But for now, when we take part in the meal, there's something a little bit more significant than just eating a cake to remember somebody's birthday or eating Anzac biscuits to remember Australian and New Zealand soldiers. Uh, when we eat and drink, we demonstrate that we are partakers and that we are built up in the knowledge and the fellowship of Jesus. We refresh ourselves in the goodness of Jesus. We remind ourselves that we get to experience and reap all the benefits from the death and resurrection of Jesus. When we take communion, we remind ourselves that we get to be in an amazing, close, intimate relationship with God. And we are marked out of one of his children. We belong to God. We also belong to each other. So if we then do this on a regular basis, then it simply makes no sense for us to try and live for or belong to any other so-called God, being, or person. If I was to say, I belong to Jesus, and I come out and take the Lord's Supper regularly, then it wouldn't be at all logical for me to go to the local idol temple and bow down and worship another idol, would it? That would be as illogical as Israel being saved from Egypt by the Lord, only to make a statue of a golden calf, and bow down to it and worship it as a thing which brought them out of Egypt. Now, idols and other gods and temples were prevalent and obvious in the first century. They were everywhere. And it was odd not to worship multiple gods and deities. So the application for the Corinthians was to not participate in the sacrifices and worship of other gods. Not those gods were anything, but that Anything else other than Yahweh is idolatry. So then we are to flee this at all costs. But here in Toowoomba, or wherever you're joining in from online, in 21st century Australia, our idols and gods are probably more subtle. A, a quick test to find out what these might be for us could be asking the question, what in my life am I prioritising before living for God? What am I not willing to give up in service and living for God? 
Could be career, money, social media. Could be comfort. Could be leisure. Could be even family. Maybe it's all the above. I'm going to be the first to say that my biggest idol is me. I like my own comfort. I like people liking me. I don't like it when people don't like me. I like it when things go my way. I don't like it when things don't go my way. I'm my biggest idol. And I need to constantly repent and ask God for forgiveness and for him to help me to live for him and not for myself. Because living for God wholeheartedly means fleeing idolatry, even if it means being uncomfortable. Even if it's hard, which it will be. Even if it causes the world to mock us and laugh at us not living as they do. So, what are the things that you may be putting before living for the Lord? A helpful prayer could be, Lord, show me the idols in my life and help me to cast them aside so that I can live for you wholeheartedly. And as we saw in verse 13, God is faithful. God is just. He won't let these idols take us away from him as we press into him. So flee idolatry. So then does this just mean that we should all go run away and live in the sticks and live in a commune, separate away from the world? Uh, do we need to abandon all the pleasures and goodness of this world in favour of a life of no desire or, or no temptation? Most certainly not. We have the freedom in Christ to live in this world, to enjoy the fruits of this world, but we're to do all of this for God's glory. Uh, how do we do this? Uh, well, it's not that clear cut, unfortunately. Uh, in school, I really enjoyed maths and I really, really disliked English. Uh, apologies to any of the English teachers here. Uh, maths made sense to me. If you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, you're wrong. English didn't make sense to me. Apparently, there is no wrong answer in English. It infuriated me. I liked the neat and tidy and didn't like the ambiguous. Now, unfortunately for me, Paul doesn't give us a neat and tidy answer about how to live in the world, because there is none. Living in the world is going to be messy and hard, but we aren't left to figure it out by ourselves. Paul gives us a framework and then a bit of a case study in these verses to help us. So verse 23. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So when living in the world, a good question to ask could be, 
is what I'm doing now seeking the good of others? And what's the greatest good for people? What, what does the world need to hear? Well, the greatest good for anyone is to come to know Jesus. So when we're living in the world, possibly a better question to ask ourselves is this. Is what I'm doing pointing to Jesus? Is what I'm doing bringing glory to God? Now, this is a sermon in and of itself, but we're going to lay down our rights and freedoms to show off Jesus. So, yes, go to work. Go to work functions. Go to your children's sports games and musicals. Go to the local village activities. Go do park run. Go ride 200-kilometer bike rides. Go and make friends with people who aren't Christian. Whatever your front lines, wherever they are, go. Take part. Perhaps in some circumstances, it may even be better to withdraw from such activities that don't honour God. But go and live in such a way that others see Jesus in you. Verse 32, don't put up any barriers that stop people coming from God. Don't hinder people by living too much like the world or by being so disconnected from the world but rather pave the way for people to know Jesus. And we live like this, not for our own comfort, not for our own praise, but we live this way so that others may be saved. We're called to live faithfully for Christ in the midst of a world which is so helplessly lost, messy, and dark. A world that needs to know Jesus. We're called on to lay down our freedoms, to pave the way, to make straight paths, to be a big neon flashing sign that points the world to Jesus. To Jesus, the one who laid down his ultimate freedom. To Jesus, who was obedient to the will of the Father. To Jesus who said, not my will be done, but yours be done. To Jesus who laid down his life to claim you and me for himself. So friends, follow wholeheartedly for him. Flee idolatry and live for God's glory. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, how we thank you so much for your love and for your mercy for us, poured out in Jesus. In Jesus who went to the cross for us, who laid down his life for us, so that we can be yours forever. Gracious Lord, help us in the midst of this world to follow you wholeheartedly. Help us to flee idolatry. Lord, please expose the idols in our hearts and help us to cast them away so that we can live for you. And Lord, give us wisdom. Give us boldness to live in the world so that we may point others to you. Our great, glorious, and awesome King. 
the one who came to wash our sin away and to make us white as snow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.